0: In the summer of 2016, a Facebook group emerged to quickly become the primary space in which professionals on all sides of college admissions would gather to discuss the challenges and potential solutions to some really hard problems. Like, how do we make the spaces that college admissions occupies and with which it interacts and intersects fairer to and more representative of racial minorities and other marginalized groups, especially given that it was set up and is still run in a lot of ways that keep them out? Accept as it is called, which stands for Admissions Community Cultivating Equity and Peace Today, was led into existence by school, college, and admissions counseling professionals Brandy Smith, Steve Frappier, and my guest today, Marie Bigham, and it is now nearly 6,000 people strong. Welcome to The Crush. Welcome to The Crush. I'm David Sweeney, a former college admissions counselor at the venerated University of Rochester and current college counselor at CollegeWise. And this is a podcast where I talk to people who help to create spaces for other people to share their truths about what it's like to be a person of color in admissions and to discuss ideas about making getting into college easier for people who haven't traditionally been granted that access and who perhaps continue to have a hard time as a result of vestiges of the purposeful establishment of barriers to access. People like my guest today, Marie Bigum. I am very happy to offer this up as an informal companion piece to Eric Hoover's cover story in the Chronicle yesterday about the group, titled, The Admissions Activists Are Here to Make You Uncomfortable. There's a link to the story in the show notes here that should walk you around the paywall, at least for a short time. So click on it and read it. And please definitely do that. In fact, do that first. Stop listening to this and then go read that because there's way more detail and context than I could get into this talk and more of what we do discuss will make more sense to you afterwards. See, aren't you glad you did that? Aren't you intrigued now to learn more? Welcome to any new listeners, subscribe to The Crush on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or all kind of other places where they give podcasts to the people and then rate the show, rate it. My parents can uh, only go to the local library and uh, hop around the computers and use different IP addresses so many times in order to artificially inflate the ratings. So I need you guys. Come on. It'll be the easiest thing that you do all day. Thank you. Hey, tell you what isn't easy is talking about racism. Yet this is exactly what is happening as a result of accepts efforts in ways that are definitely jumping outside of the digital space. As you'll learn and guiding hundreds or more like thousands of professionals in college admissions to have probably the hardest conversation conversations needed about college access and the degree to which the system is not necessarily broken, as we have been encouraged to consider over and over again in recent months. But rather, as Marie puts it in our interview, I
1: think this system is working exactly as it was designed to.
0: So she and her team, which includes thousands of people, have been hard at work to say, if we are part of and have agency over this system, how can we change it? And how can we do it together collectively? not just siloed in our brains or our offices or campuses? And how can I make sure that in this collective effort that my own experiences are shared, voiced, heard, and valued?" So for the uninitiated and for those who didn't read the Chronicle article, as I just instructed, here's the official description of what Accept is. Accept empowers college admissions professionals who seek to center anti-racism, equity, and justice in our work and communities. As educational gatekeepers, college admissions professionals hold the most responsibility in removing barriers to post-secondary education Everyone in this work has a role to play, except will lead the college admissions profession in creating an equitable, just, and anti-racist path to post-secondary education. So that is them. They motivate to address hate incidents on campuses when they occur by engaging uh, university leadership on the matter and reaching out to students that might have been affected. They provide mentorship for professionals who don't have any other network to rely on. They share books and resources and webinars. They are busy and getting busier. My conversation with Marie is in part a conversation about a pretty organic organizing of humans who got together first around a feeling of anger and frustration and sadness and then around a call to action. But this is also a conversation about conversations. It's about having extremely hard conversations, ones that have historically not been had, not been had on the kind of wide systemic or cultural scale needed in admissions and not been had in the kind of concerted fashion and with action in mind in the way that's happening within and as a result of the work of Accept. I have broached the matter of the difficulty of talking about race and racism a few times in this podcast, uh, particularly with Oregon State Senator Lou Frederick and Professor Mary Beth Gassman. So you can uh, listen to their thoughts on it as well if you want to dip into the archives. So let's switch to this conversation to hear more about who this group is and what they do and why and where they are headed. I spoke to Marie from her home and aging show dog care center in New Orleans, Louisiana. How many dogs do you have?
1: I have a pair of Boston Terriers.
0: What are their names?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked. Their official call names um, are Champion Bowties, Miss Firecracker, and she goes by Chelsea. And then the other is Grand Champion Bowties, Oops, Caught You looking, and his name is Peeps, or Detective Frank Peeperton, P.D. P.I. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's those yeah. are those are normal dog names.
1: Totally no. I have fancy retired uh, beauty queens.
0: <laughs> Seriously.
1: Seriously, they uh, like show dogs.
0: After,
1: we got them after their show careers were over. So after they finished showing, and neither of them had successful breeding careers. So
0: your house is basically like the dog Sunset Boulevard.
1: <gasps> yes. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Yes, or I would say probably more accurately, more like the dog, whatever happened to baby Jane. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's a little competition and animosity. And they, sometimes.
0: Yeah, I could just see them doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for my close-up.
1: Exactly. Oh, my God.
0: Is there like a strange assistant that like minds them? Is that you? That's <laughs> me. Yeah.
1: That's Man. me. I watched That's that movie husband.
0: not that long ago, and it's fantastic. I
1: love it. so. It holds up so well. It's
0: so weird. Yeah, it's, so it's so weird, and yeah, it's yeah. really good. What's up? How are you?
1: Things are crazy. I know. In a good way, but things are crazy.
0: Yeah. What's so crazy? Yeah.
1: Are we recording the stuff you want to get down? Or? Yeah,
0: no, I'm just recording, you know?
1: Okay. No, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I'm always afraid to so, tell people that. Yeah, it's okay. I always ask. Um, always. So we found out.
0: Because you're a media darling.
1: Oh media
0: ho.
1: see there you go mm-hmm. there's the tent.
0: that's because she just heard someone talk trying to claim her place as a media hoe
1: that's that's kind of it we're gonna walk together and open the back doors for them <laughs> taking a tour through my house in new Orleans. Oh look at that it's lovely it's a big 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 crazy house with windows that open from the bottom to let them down let them out into the backyard so let's see, what day? Today's Wednesday. Monday, Today's found Wednesday. out that, um, except we are moving forward in the Roddenberry Foundation Fellowship Program.
0: Like Gene Roddenberry? Yeah,
1: which every time I talk about this, my husband, I can see him wincing because he's afraid I'm going to say, you know, Gene Roddenberry is Star Wars. I right, have right, repeatedly, right. but now I know. Um, no, it's this amazing fellowship program for twenty people that comes with a monetary prize, but more importantly, it's a year of like really intense handholding of of some of the most impressive leaders and 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 people in the nonprofit and activist space. So, found out Monday that um, we move forward. Yeah, so we're we're in this we're in the final round. Yeah, so that
0: happened. Uh, it's hard to think of a kind of a cooler named entity to be associated it's with, I mean, yeah, it's up there. Wow. And then what, I mean,
1: Oh, but wait, there's an, and then, and then yeah. yesterday you are the first person we are telling outside of the family.
0: Wait a second.
1: Uh-huh. What is that
0: it? What up. is it? What is it? Go.
1: So, um, accept and our program partner to this group called rise from Colorado state yesterday received a seventy five thousand dollar grant to put on a year long project called Hack the Gates. Um, it's Are the these first the- grant we applied for it. It's the first grant we got.
0: Is this like, wait, gates, like the gates, like the admissions gates? Yep. So yep. this is, can I yep. guess that this is an effort to try to figure out like sort of innovative ways to, you know, yeah. maybe do like get into those gates besides the way that we do yeah. it now?
1: You know, this is such a good time. It's for us to talk about these things. <laughs> Season of scandals, but I mean, I mean, those of us who are practitioners, like we've known, we've known about the problems, and we've known about the inequities, and particularly the racialized inequities of the of the admission system. Like we've known this for a while, but to have these back to back to back scandals and conversations really has, I think, piqued the interest in the in the public, but also yeah. really raised the specter that hey, this is not fair. This is not about meritocracy. Mm-hmm. That so many must have been crying for so long, and um, so there's there's interest for sure. But Rise, um, which is led by Dr. Oyan Poon, um, mm-hmm. is it's a is a research and academic space where that's that's what she and her team dig into the inequities uh, in in higher ed.
0: Spam fried rice on Twitter.
1: She's amazing, like just a force of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if except here we are the practitioners, and through a lot of conversations, she and I just kept going back and forth and saying we got to make a space for people that. For, for practitioners, for policymakers, for all the all the interested shareholders in this, users to, to the very top of the chain, right? Um, to say, there's got to be a different way. And so after a lot of conversation, what we came up with is this year-long project. So we're going to start with webinars and kind of online community building to, to, to learn about the foundations of this, mm-hmm. how we ended up here, right? I think when we talk about admissions needing to be fixed, we do so much incrementally in part because people don't know the really intensely racialized foundations that have been built into this process since the beginning. So we're going to do that first. And then we're going to talk about the way systems choose, not necessarily education and not necessarily the United States, which just have broadly how do systems choose. Um, it's going to lead to a convening in November in person and online for people to hack the gates.
0: Huh.
1: And then it- culminates in the spring with research papers and policy papers out of that, along with continued conversation.
0: That sounds like a lot of stuff to do in a year.
1: I know, right? Um, but come on. It all Better. sounds
0: like uh, just probably, you know, the most important stuff to do and yeah. that you're involving the right people uh, already, I would imagine. But yeah, how are you going to do all of that?
1: Um, we've done. We've laid a lot of the foundation already, um, but yeah, we've been working really hard since March. Mm-hmm. I think was when everything kind of broke. Like really, it's just been March that this conversation's been going on. We've been piecing this together. So now, pretty much the rest of my days for the next year is just clearing everything off the desk. Yeah, but that's not possible. Um, just to keep moving this forward to keep the conversation moving forward but we're very lucky i think within accept and with rise that um there's so many people interested in this topic and there's so many people engaged with the work that we do already and so folks want to jump in folks i think have been waiting for this conversation somehow and i know others are having it but i think the way we're doing it in a large scale way with with a lot of openness a lot of transparency i hope is what it's just a little different in this conversation
0: well Accept started from my perspective, and I'll ask you to share some details on, along these lines, um, because there appeared to be a lack of space to have conversations like the ones that are happening in that space. And so I want to just kind of back up and ask you some more questions about how that started to begin with. I think at this point, a lot of people know how that um how how it, it you know people that have been paying attention kind of know how it showed up but i think that for me the thing that's most interesting about except in the the angle that i want to kind of bring to this conversation and the the, the reason that I'm, I'm i'm talking to you is many but one is that i think that i happen to know, i don't know a lot about who listens to this thing besides like my parents and you, I, you, I, you've claimed to have heard it before, you know, whatever, it's fine. But I, I, I have reason to believe there are people that exist outside of the college admissions space that listen to this. And I think that one of the things to, to you know, harken back to what you brought up earlier already is saying that the, the system is broken and like that's being, you know, foist into everybody's living rooms one way or another, TV screens, uh, scro- phone scrolling mechanisms. However, people get, <laughs> these days. you know, reminded that like something screwed up. And I think that you like that the work that Accept does is it, it strikes me as as sort of internal to the industry um, yeah. in a way that I think there's value in sharing to people. Sharing with people outside of the industry that they know that there are people that are working on this in a concerted way, that it isn't just kind of a loose affiliation of people who are you know individually concerned in different admissions offices, but that you've managed to kind of find a, a space to bring people together to think about a lot of this kind of stuff. Does that sound right?
1: Thanks. Or fair? Yeah, or I um, hope so. Yeah. No, I think that's accurate. Um, you know, to your point about how we're we're pretty inside the profession. That's been very much by design, and since the very beginning that we said. This is our sphere of influence. This is the space we know best. We also can identify those inequities extremely well. And it also happens to be a space that drives so many important things Mm country in this culture. And so, yeah, we've not expanded really um, in our reach beyond admissions or uh, opening up membership or things like that because we know that this is what we know best. We know college admissions and that pathway from post secondary to post-secondary, so we've tried really hard to 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 do that.
0: So I know what you think. Accept is what do you think if you ask the average <laughs> member, right? The the you know the, you've, there are five thousand people that are in this Facebook group now.
1: Fifty-four hundred, sir. I, didn't I say more than? <laughs> didn't I say more than? I Which don't is it's pretty
0: good. It's it's coming up on you know you can, almost about to round up to six. But um, mm-hmm. if you ask them like what accept is, what do you think they would say?
1: Oh Lord. Well, I think Mark Moody would say it's a place that takes up all of my time.
0: Mission accomplished. Name Brand. dropped.
1: Boop. So I've got my own <laughs> little checklist here just so that you know. <laughs> I think a lot of folks who are close close to me say would say that it's a, a Facebook group where people in the profession talk about race and talk about their feelings about it. I think there are some in the profession who would say, um, we're a pain in the ass and we're gadflies who should learn to sit down and do things the proper way and use the appropriate channels i think there are some who would say oh yeah those that group of folks i hear they kind of talk about activist stuff i don't really know um my hope my sincere hope is that people who are engaged with accept say that it's a community where they go to to be challenged and to learn and to and to get the tools and the collaboration to make real change in this process.
0: How do you know that's happening?
1: How do we know it's happening? Oh gosh, I mean, there are the things that we can point to. I think that are that are big wins. You know, we can point to um, that movement to get um, to, for colleges to take scores. I'm sorry, my poor dog. Um, to take scores off of. Um,
0: It's a collaborative Uh,
1: Applications, yeah. It takes words off of applications in a way um, that saves students money. The fact that that kind of kick-started within our group and grew, that's one very measurable thing. Mm -hmm. You can look at um, our community engagement and the analytics that we see within um, Facebook that when it comes to engagement, and by that, Facebook measures a user who specifically goes to the group who interacts with uh, postings with material who themselves post it. So not just someone who pops up, on their someone with whom they interact, I think a sign of our success is our engagement has hovered around ninety to ninety-three percent since the day we started. So, regardless of how fast we scale or how large we scale, people are engaging with us at a rate that's exceptional.
0: And um, that's an analytical tool that you have as an administrator yeah. for the group that Facebook shares with you.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a tool that Facebook allows us. And when we were um, when we were invited to participate in the Facebook Community Summit in two thousand seventeen. Um, Part of the reason we were invited out of you know the 10 million groups, we were one of 125, I think, that were selected, um, is because our engagement's unusually high. They say that the typical engagement in the 10 million groups is single digit and successful engagement is 20 to 30 percent. So for us to be consistently in the ninety to ninety-three, regardless of size, I think that's a measure of success. The measures that I see too, they're the ones that make me feel really positive about what we're doing, is seeing how the conversation in our professional spaces seem to be evolving, that the ideas of equity and justice and specifically racial justice are coming up in conversations more and more and more professionally, um, not just in the spaces that accept you know, plays in, but w- we see that happening differently now, I think, than in the last 20 some years I've been involved in the, in the profession. And then, you know, there's great conversations with folks on the side who say, being an accept gave me the language to have that difficult conversation with a relative at Thanksgiving or with my boss right or those were my measurements now that said you know there will always be um, as we as we scale up and we operationalize now we're gonna be pushed more and more to find those measurements um, my snarky but truthful answer is I, I think we will be ultimately successful when we can shut down
0: yeah that was one of my questions because I thought you know you guys are you know let's Let's just state also for the record that this is an this is an award-winning organization. Okay, I mean in mo- oh, multiple thanks. ways. Okay, but you you know you you were all you and your team were brought up onto the stage uh, at NACAC uh, to receive an award from the national organization which was really cool and had to feel yeah. had to feel great and sort of validating. And one of the things that I noted that notice that Brandy said in the in the in the in the video, you know, which they showed before, which is on the web page now and, and everybody can go and check it out and stuff, is that, you know, it would be great if this was gone yeah. in in five years. And, you know, I don't know that Sandra Day O'Connor was not that optimistic right about you know the 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 need for consideration of race to Mm. exit the scene and and I mean and and so I wonder like how do you what do you think I I mean how do you think yeah tell me about like what do you is there do you see yourselves as an organization whose goal is to is to fix broken stuff and then it'll just get fixed and be done
1: no two thoughts with that um when you say first thing um you know, Sandra O'Connor was wrong about how long it would take for race to not be taken into consideration. I don't think for us that success means that the process does not have to take race into consideration, like quite the opposite. Yeah. I think that success for us is seeing a new pathway from post from, from secondary to post-secondary education, whatever that means at whatever point of life, that takes into account so many things, including the racial inequities. Um, in this country so i've i've never been someone who advocated for race blind anything anywhere and even especially in this process to me that's not success that we have to see people and that is such a critical portion of somebody's identity in this country That so i don't want that
0: mm-hmm. i don't want
1: that at all mm-hmm. and then the other thing you said i think this is something that mentioned earlier and it's kind of one of my things i've been trying to really hone in on this idea that accept or we need to fix this broken system mm-hmm. i actually don't think this system's broken i think this system is working exactly as it was designed to yeah right and that's the problem we have this archaic system that was built specifically on exclusion of race of gender of religion of wealth these are the foundations of of how public education is funded in this country of of how schools are treated in terms of independent schools those choices public schools of how colleges funded of Of everything, those issues are absolutely critical. And so the system isn't broken. The system is working exactly the way it's supposed to. But it's up to us to say to the system and those who support it directly or inadvertently and say, this isn't the system we want. The system we want instead is one that is equitable, that fights... White supremacy that that has anti-racism at the core, that looks for that seeks justice so that everyone has equal opportunities um, for growth in this country, that we really live up to that dream. So I don't want to fix this system. I wanna I wanna find a better one.
0: What are some of the in, to the extent that the the, the 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 core of the foundation of the organization and uh, the nature of the conversations that most of the people are having being, you know, really sort of essentially focused around race, like what are some of the the sort of thematic through lines, I guess, as far as that's concerned that people are discovering in their own admissions outfits that, um, uh, you feel like is common enough to say that like, this is an industry wide issue that, you know, you think that, you know, except can have an impact
1: on. For sure. Um, you know, there's so many, there's, there have been so many studies about this, but I, I think we're all acknowledging it now the way recruitment occurs and the way recruitment territories are kind of divvied up and how colleges go out and seek students, um, is is incredibly inequitable uh, based on you know where a college may visit to the specific schools they might visit to places they specifically don't visit to having biases about what student they may or may not get from there and then wondering, why can't we find? Why can't we find? Well, I keep going back to the same place. And so
0: me upset. an admissions counselor, a white guy from okay. Oregon is going to bring, you know, to bear like my own sort of biases on my on my recruitment strategy such okay. that, you know, I could go to any state in the union and probably there's plenty of, of you know, it's probably just perfectly acceptable that. And perhaps even to some extent, uh, you know, encourage that I go and visit places where the schools, the people there probably look a lot like me that, you know, I feel much more comfortable around them as a result of my own experiences coming up. and, And that's sort of what's happening on a broad scale.
1: Absolutely. But not just that, I mean, that, that is to the individual right now. Let's look at how the institution and how the system supports that. How do institutions support choices like what school you might visit versus what you might not. Um, if the school is, you know, terribly tuition dependent, they're going to look for places where there's a lot of high wealth. Um, okay, well, if you're looking for students who are Pell eligible, guess what's not going to have a lot? If you're not going to see those kids by going to a high school with a lot of high wealth. That's one of those institutional ways that's supported. Or you can even pull that back further and say, you know, a college says we, you know, it's important we have high test scores it's important we have high test scores you need to recruit at places that have these high test scores well if we know that high test scores are reflective of parental wealth again if we know that there are significant racialized disparities within the testing and you're looking at places and choosing what high schools to visit based on their average test scores these are the things that play out so i do think that there's to one extent folks who are saying you know what i i they might be saying specifically, maybe, you know, without, without acknowledging it that, you know, I want to go visit high schools where students were specifically look more like me. I think they fit this institution the way I did. And that, that tends to reflect the person. But then there's that institutional and that structural piece, too, that drives those disparities that I think, at least for selective office, selective admissions offices, you know, where they're choosing among students, those things happen. And we're having more conversations about that now.
0: So if you've got a tuition-dependent or, or, you know, tuition-aware, which I argue probably all includes all of them, right, institution that says, you know, we need to be mindful of that implicitly or explicitly, and you've got an enterprising and, you know, now sort of newly engaged young admissions recruiter who has been spending some time in the accept group and and hearing all of these conversations, like how is this sort of frontline admissions counselor feeling or to to what extent do you know about how they're feeling more empowered to kind of go back and say, hey, this is screwed up and to sort of run that up the flagpole and have it make a difference?
1: I mean, truly, all I have is anecdata. I have we have the stories and anecdotes that people tell us and we have the changes that we can see. This is an auditory
0: medium. So is this those work?
1: Okay. Yeah, go so for you it, go. yeah, People people like people like charts and numbers and that's that's just not my scene. Nah. I'm not I'm not Bach and Stet. Um, <laughs> <but laughs> number two. Thank you. Good work. Thank you. Thank you. I that is the one thing I prepared for this with my
0: your with name my, Yeah, okay, good. I'll try to um, tee you up as much as I can.
1: Oh, it's not just names friends.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Oof. Uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> anywho You already I'm know you dad. can
0: swear on this. Yay! Okay.
1: Um, Anecdotas that, you know, we see, I mean, just in my city, just in New Orleans, um, college reps would call in places that would typically say, hey, can we do an evening program at your school? I think based on conversations and Accept, um, or as a trickle down, conversations with other counselors in New Orleans who also share these ideas. Instead of asking to host programs at our fancy private schools in wealthy white neighborhoods, they're saying, where are some good community centers? Or libraries, or what are schools in underserved areas where we should be doing outreach like this? Um, we see those things happening more and more, and I think that's that's one of those things that someone, you know, two three years in the in the game, and they're not they're not changing financial aid strategies on institutions, but they can change those things. And we're I, I think because it might seem like a small conversation, and except like. That's, those are catching fire. Those are conversations that others are having.
0: Well, it's interesting. You know, it's a question that I have for you that I'd like to learn more about. And, and then I think a lot of people who, um, may be, you know, some of the more kind of casual observers or participants in the, um, except group, uh, mm-hmm. how, you know, in what ways is, does this exist in, in, in not the digital space, but in like the real face-to-face yeah. space?
1: Mm-hmm. As of the end of this summer, we will have hosted in the last three years almost eighty in um, in-person meetings. That that we're aware of that except officially like sponsored and sent materials to What does that mean? Um, you know, that means that typically what happens is at conferences or at professional gatherings or in specific regional areas that folks who are members or who are curious get together off of the schedule and talk about issues of, of equity and issues of justice and racial inequities and, and how we can approach that. And for some people, it's where they go to unload and where they go to, to, to see friends and to, to hear, to take solace when they need to lament in some ways. So we've had almost 80 of those in three years. And again, those are just the ones I know about. I know that some of the regional groups have also done things like continue to meet without necessarily letting us know, which is perfectly fine with me, Um, that they've done field trips or like book clubs or go to see a museum together or a movie together. So that engagement offline has been a part of us since we started. The first Accept meetup happened um, a couple of months after we were founded. So we were founded July 2016 first meetup was september of 2016 and i have 80 people there um brandy and i couldn't go because it was our last NACAC board meeting so since the beginning people have been getting together off the digital space and since the beginning it doesn't need to be with with us there
0: do you think accept is for everybody
1: nope i do not think accept is for everybody nor do we try to be for everybody who's it for I think it's for people who really want to engage and learn and listen to other people's stories and people who really want to fight some of this, some of this harm that we're seeing in the world right now that's just exacerbated by this particular administration and moment in our culture. Um, I hope, well, very specifically, we're for people who work in the college admissions sphere, very specifically. Um, we're not students, we're not parents but were people who sit around the admissions
0: table. It seems that there have been some people who, you know, and as you know, that I think maybe thought that they were going to be able to do a certain kind of thing in this group and and, and maybe realized that it wasn't going to work out for them. Um, And so I guess, obviously, after... All of this dust was kicked up after the election, you know, uh, yeah. I, I, I had to quit Facebook because of it And because of like just I, I, I found myself I'd been I'd been, you know, programmed in that Pavlovian way To, you know, just be as petty as I possibly can about yeah. like who's liking what about what they're saying Specifically my family members, right, who voted for Trump and stuff And yeah. so I was like, I can't this is not good for my health yeah. um, And I have more questions about that But um, <laughs> but that um not like, am I healthy? Am I okay? <laughs> Can you diagnose me? But um, other stuff related to it. But that people, I think every, a whole lot of people, certainly not everybody, certainly not everybody, but tons and tons and tons of people who probably had never really felt like they've had to reckon with this in a meaningful way, yeah. knew that they needed to, but probably didn't have yeah. the tools, probably still don't, and probably found out the hard way when they got in to accept that they didn't yeah. have the tools, right? To sort of reckon with this and that this wasn't going to be the space to do that. What do you think about that?
1: Um, I hear, I get it. Um, my, my immediate and snarky pushback to that is it must be nice to walk away. Um, those of us who are people of color don't get to, Mm I have to live, I have to live in the skin. I have to live with these stories and these experiences and I don't get to disengage. Right. Um, that said, because I think this is important to acknowledge too, as a multiracial woman who's half white and can pass, I sometimes do have that privilege of disengaging. Mm -hmm. I can sometimes sneak into a corner or slip away. And that's not what many of my brown, and black, and yellow brothers and sisters can experience. So I also know that privilege, too. So when someone says to me, gosh, you know, this, is, this didn't go well, or was too intense, or I got yelled at, or I didn't feel good about this, or, or, or I don't ask them to stay. I'm like, okay, we're not going to be for everyone, but also... That must be nice to be able to disengage. What a privilege mm-hmm. because the reason we're all here and the reason it can be so intense sometimes is because we can't. Um, our, 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 My favorite wristband of all that we've made so far besides the OG Black Lives Matter one is um, the accept, join for the activism, stay for the discomfort. <laughs> I think people join because they're like, yeah, I saw the yeah. wristband. i want to do that. And then they get there and they're like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not – I'm not that person Mm -hmm. you can't call me out that way that doesn't feel good and like mm -mm, we don't coddle that we don't allow like like bullying we don't allow you know ad hominem attacks but we don't tell them police either and it's not it's not always for the faint of part i've been on the receiving end i know
0: well i think you know and because you've already said his name uh that you know, somebody like John Bacchenset who works in a sort of an all in a a parallel sort of space, uh, you know, a membership that is, Double or more, what Accept has going for it? Yeah, oh, like three times, I think. College admissions counselor Facebook yeah. group. Um, who I I mean, him and Bob Turbo work as moderators to really try to pay attention to the to the dialogue to the conversation. There are rules, you know, and they 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 shut off comments and they do this and they do. Like, did you ever sort of do you view yourself in that same way as like the monitor as, as like the moderator of an online conversation?
1: Sure, we actually have a team of moderators who work behind the scenes. We have some pretty loose rules, but they, they take care of those. Um, and so we have people step in and, and moderate when necessary. I don't see that as my specific role except mm-hmm. as the founder. Um, I, I, I don't think that's what I should be doing. I how think do I do cre-
0: How do you sort of create <gasps> and monitor rules for online dialogue about the hardest issues like in the world?
1: Well, because our our rules are not the typical ones. And our rules, frankly, are more about leaders and how leaders should step in and step up.
0: Tell me and more. They, what are what are what are the rules?
1: You know, and now I have to look them up because frankly, it's been so long. <laughs> um, it's, it's things like don't demand and don't expect closure. Um, these conversations don't allow that. Um, like don't tell police we don't allow that and i feel like that's
0: sort of a general yeah. going concern for facebook like if you're gonna fucking dive in on some shit at, you know at 8 30 in the morning like you're gonna like and then you. you're gonna commit but, yourself all day long to you know people right clapping back and everything like it just it's a, right. that's that's a big part of like why i got out
1: of there it's but like, remember too within so that that is the culture of social media especially yeah. in the last couple of years right right but in the of our profession, and in, frankly, let's let's call it, in a white culture, politeness, and making sure everyone is happy and is maintaining relationships, that's critical. And so to have a space like, except where people call, where people have hard conversations, I don't like saying call out, because I don't actually don't think that's what we do a lot of, but where people have difficult and challenging conversations, it's not going to be polite, it's not always going to be kind, it could be really raw, it could be shouty, there might be all caps, we say fuck lot mm-hmm. like a fucking lot and <laughs> the last thing anyone's gonna fucking do to me is tell me that i can't say that mm-hmm. you know and so those are some of the rules we have most other groups and i know this from 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 participating with facebook but also doing a training with them for other moderators um is that those tend to be like you can't talk about this subject or we do this or we do that and no ours are really more about about how to engage in hard conversations. So from the from the beginning, I felt like me moderating, but also diving in and wanting to like poke conversations and drag them along and trying to build cultural norms for us, but also moments that, like traditions that we have, right? Like Self-Care Sunday, that to do those things meant that moderating wasn't quite my role. And around that time, there was a really good group of folks like in the first week who jumped in and said they wanted to be those people and take care of that. And they help us think about those hard choices and help us think through things.
0: So, what have been, you know, to the extent that memory serves, what 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 have been some of the uh, topics that, or you know, particular conversations or or issues that have you know kind of gotten the most, uh, the most fire, the most heat, the most you know the things that have gotten yeah. people really worked up. Like, are, is there a is there a, a sort of a general category or or, or issue oh, that comes gosh. to mind?
1: I mean, it really could be all over the place, and sometimes it surprises me what lights people up, and sometimes it doesn't surprise me, um, and it's so different. We've evolved with our conversations, honestly, in the last three years. In the very beginning, a lot of our flare-ups were, they felt, I don't want to say more personal, but it was people feeling aggrieved personally when something occurred, like you don't know me and you don't know what I've done and this feels hurtful. And I think as we've grown together as a community and learned about how we have conversations about equity and that that's, that's not the point, um, those have dissipated. And now the conversations we have that could flare up are, are more about being, you know, specific with language and, and what's the true intent of what you're asking. Um, I can think of the last couple of weeks the, the two that really got a lot of traction. Where when I posted um I posted a story about white women gathering for Trump and I said in all caps, get white your, women come get your people. Get your people. Get your people. I'm a big believer in getting your people for all of us, right? And it wasn't that, it wasn't saying white women, which I think in other spaces would have blown up, and it wasn't saying get your people. It was when some women said, and I understand the intention. When they said, that's not me. Those aren't my people. I mean, I get it, I look, but I'm, those aren't my people. And that became a really tough conversation because others of us were saying, so the need to individualize and to be able to disassociate in conversations about race, that's like one of the most white privileged things you can do. Because mm-hmm. in conversations about race, people of color are grouped together. as, as, you know, monoliths. And so to ask that of this is not a reasonable thing, but no, they're not mine. And so it was conversations like that. So a little finer point on it, right? Or someone who said, and again, I, I believe that good intent said, you know, I understand this, but maybe could we step back and have an intellectualized conversation? Like let's remove these factors that are in real life and let's set up this false scenario that I would like to talk about. And my pushback was, Doing that is harmful for those of us who live this. We don't get to live this for your intellectual entertainment.
0: Right. So let's take that, the- let's...
1: Those conversations blew up. But yeah. my analogy to that is always like, we weren't arguing about algebra or even arithmetic. We were arguing about Calc 3. Like those are high level, intense conversations that that that, that show people have put in a lot of time and effort and energy to get there. Mm-hmm. And no one left. And there wasn't any yelling. And frankly, there were even moments of
0: at least not online.
1: Right, right not online. Now I'll tell you, I'm certain that happens offline. And right. I know that I get more than enough text messages and emails separate. But it was one of those moments of, okay, this was hard. Let's let this play out. Let's let us see how this conversation flows. And if we end in a place of understanding,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think we did. Mm-hmm. Or if how- not understanding, at least respect.
0: You said that the conversation has evolved in sort of the, 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 sort of style and I guess the, mm-hmm. um, kind of collective expectation for tone has evolved. How has, what, what else has sort of evolved about the group or its mission and scope over the yeah. years? And, and what were you surprised to learn or to discover over the course of that evolution?
1: So it is, it's a story I've told a million times, but I swear to God, it's true. When I started this in the middle of the night and a fit of rage, I fully anticipated it would be 40 or 50 friends in a little corner of the internet where we could get together and hug each other when things were bad. That's it. It's it. truly. That's, at that moment, that's what I needed desperately. And this came after I, the
0: Parkland shootings. Nope. This or came after the
1: El Centro Community College shootings right, in Dallas. Right, right, right. So summer of 2016. Which Before was, Parkland, Yeah fucking miserable summer though because mm-hmm. that was it was a lot it was a lot of death and it was a lot of especially down here where I live and so mm-hmm. I thought that's what it would be truthfully I thought that's what it would be I didn't I at no point ever thought that we would be 5,400 people that I would leave admissions after 20 plus years and uh, to, to do this full time that, that I never thought it would be this but in my wildest dreams damn there's so much more we could be um in terms of how conversations have evolved again what i like about us is that the conversations we're not we're not all playing algebra or calculus three but very very few people walk into accept and question right like no no one's no one's pushing back on the idea of white privilege and accept for example um we that's something we acknowledge as a thing you know, that's a given so I think some of those things. I think we're 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 not at the edge of the curve, but we're in terms of conversations and professional groups about race. I think we're doing pretty good.
0: What do you? I want to see how I can kind of phrase this idea. I think that you are coming off of a, a, a tenure at a pretty fancy private school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of us that work in the decidedly privileged wing of the yeah. the, the college admissions landscape. And yet find ourselves, you know, wanting to have conversations and having the greatest impact at the other end of uh, the wing. Right. And that a big part of this and, you know, a big part of having these kinds of conversations that accept hosts the space to have. Mm -hmm. It it seems to me about a lot of it is about reconciling those uh, pieces of oneself and the mission that they, you know, (laughs) why why we all kind of set out to do this, why we do this in the first place but it's really frustrating i think a lot of people and this is you know one of the things i mentioned you know when i talked to emmy too that like if if members of her organization could reimagine you know the secondary school uh landscape they probably wouldn't reimagine it in quite the same way um and then you know talking about the fact that you're going to be considering some and and helping facilitate the hacking of the gates What's to be done about that? Or what do you make of that? I, I think it's, it's, um, it's a struggle that a lot of people feel that, um, you know, on the one hand, they want to do a lot of good. But on the other hand, they feel like they're maybe just sort of exacerbating the wealth divide.
1: It's one of those really hard things that I struggled with really mightily. Um, I always had, I saw very good answers as to why I worked in private schools, all those things. And I mean, and they're very, they're very active, truthful, right? I, I am a product of independent schools from the day I entered kindergarten until July 1st of this year. I have been in private schools all the way through and right. worked for them. Um, I don't have a master's degree, which means I can't work in really any public school. So I had those excuses, right? Um, but it is my space. I also always tried to position myself and to and to be within that privileged world of a safe haven for students who were like me when they were in those schools, right? Kids who were other kids who who were not in the majority in any number of ways, and so. I found I, I wanted to be a resource for those kids and, and have an impact on their lives, um, whether we worked as college counselor and advisee or not. And to also be that for my colleagues, that was important too. And I think all of those things are important for all of us. Like we can't cede we can't the privileged places to people who don't care because of our guilt. But what is that? Mean? That means we have a different layer of responsibility then. I think in identifying and fighting inequities, but also giving up the privileges that we have, acknowledging them and walking away from them.
0: Do you think that people that work in environments like that have the same degree of credibility when it comes to talking about issues of access, equity, and inclusion as folks who maybe work with like an, you know, an exclusively, you know, quote unquote, underserved population?
1: In terms of credibility for whom, like in the terms of the quality of their work or they should be doing or the outside world?
0: Well, okay. So, you know, when, when, I mean, I, I've seen this more than once in conversations and accept, right, where somebody chimes in with something like, excuse me, but like, I work with people like this all day. You do not, right. you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Right. I mean, so either, I guess on the one hand, like, you either objectively do or don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And that's sort mm-hmm. of separate and apart from it. But it's, it's that, um, I wonder if, and I know for a fact there are some people that you know, and I, I struggle with this personally yeah. a little bit too, right? Who feel a little bit like you know, I have no, or or I wonder how much I feel like I'm empowered to uh, join the conversation or affect the yeah. narrative because of the the truths that 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 I experience in my work, which really aren't. Um, daily in the trenches with the people that need uh, all of the help that they can possibly get.
1: Well, I think you bring up a couple of really important points there about who should be speaking for whom, who should be speaking for what, right? Um, Where you work, where your institution is um, doesn't define us, doesn't define any of us. I mean, whether it's independent schools or, or charters or, or large publics or rural single school, you know, room house or, 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 if we allow those institutions to define us, if, we, if our mores, if our values and, and how we make decisions in our lives are morphed completely by being an institution, well, then that's different. I don't think mine are different based on my institutions. Now, there are things, too, like I shouldn't be saying, right? Like I, I should be, for example, going to the state capitol to advocate for better funding for school counselors so that so they can be paid better, but also so that private, public schools could have more of them. We see that as a clear need. It's not my place though to speak for them on behalf of their experiences or to say, this is what they need specifically. That is their space. Mm-hmm. Right. The um, things I've, I've, I've really tried to embrace is the idea of I might have the privilege of, of holding the microphone, but that means part of my, my responsibility then is sharing it. Like not just speaking on behalf of, but handing it to. Um, and I, I try to practice that a lot, but no, they're, I think where we get into trouble and accept and in broader conversations about speaking on behalf of others is when we do so and our own biases and our own misgivings come spilling out in the most well-meaning way. I think that's where people tend to slip. And I think that's where people get really freaked out about not wanting to jump into the conversation.
0: When is that, when, and when, and how's that happened for you?
1: Oh shit. Every day. (laughs) Not for real. Absolutely. Every possible day. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: because this is, you know, I, I mean, I, <laughs> the, you know, there's been more than one occasion where a therapist has told me, what's the big What's the problem with screwing up? You know, I screw up six, seven times a day, right? <laughs> um, but it's, it's, um, it's different in this context, I feel like, um, yeah. just because it's charged with, with, with such energy and yeah. the, the stakes feel really high. Like the stakes yeah. don't just feel high because of the nature of the issues being discussed, but also because like people are like literally on blast, you know, like they put yeah. themselves on blast. Um, others put them on blast because you know, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the, 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 reaction that they have to what somebody else said they then sure. they then slide over to the other facebook group to then put the whole thing on blast oh, all over now. again and it, like ah, and so like it obviously it takes a special brand of courage to have this kind of uh, uh, to have this kind of conversation in that space because you know the 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 potential vi- viralness of it is is a real thing Yeah. Um,
1: You asked about like when I screwed up. Here's one. Here's one that's really clear, clear in my head. And I will say the biggest lesson I've learned throughout leading except is uh, as a leader, learning how to apologize quickly Mm. and without trying with trying to be without trying to apologize without defense and to do it with humility. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been um, a volunteer with College Horizons, which is a uh, college access organization. I'd love to get those guys on this thing. Oh my! Oh God, yes! Those are some of the best best people in the world. Mm-hmm. I love them so much, which is why this fuck up hurt. So College so, Horizons
0: is a, is, a, is a program that helps um, native students that gathers people from um, the college admissions world to do this, you know, really yeah. intensive, you know, many day long sort of college admissions sort of boot camp thing for for specifically yeah. for native students.
1: And I've been involved with Horizons off and on since 1990. 9 or 98, so I'm like a long, I'm an I'm literally an elder in some of these spaces because I am the oldest person there. So, so I was at College Horizons at Whitman, and Jay Rosner, the king of all numeric good times, um, Chuck um, <laughs> <laughs> Jay Rosner, um, did this super cool presentation but was talking about uh, how somebody from the native community shared uh, a paradigm of he used for testing with a paradigm of spirituality. And it was really beautiful and really spoke to me and it was really cool and it was visually interesting. And so I took a picture and I posted it in accept and I posted it on my Facebook page as well and said, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing. And when you look at testing like this, it just really sparked something different. And it was very benign, right? Um, and then maybe 10, 15 minutes after I saw that I was walking outside and saw Carmen Lopez, who was the executive director and one of the, my most trusted, dearest friends in the world. And I said, oh, my gosh, that slide was so cool. I posted it. It's getting such good feedback, and people thought it was so cool. And she just kind of looked at me and cocked her head, and that was literally all she did. Looked to me and cocked her head. And then I looked at her, and I was like, ooh, that was not my gift to give. That wasn't mine to share. That's not my culture. This isn't my program. That wasn't my talk. But more than all of that it wasn't my culture to decide to be shared outside of a room because it was a native person talking about native spirituality in a space that was native students it wasn't mine to put out there
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and last thing i ever want to do is hurt that community and especially you know not carmen not jay Mm -hmm. so i took it down right away and said you know um so this was a thing and um it was still a really cool paradigm but That wasn't mine to share, and um, I'm going to remember that the next time, and I apologize to the community, and it won't happen again. Um, I didn't, like, gnash my teeth or go cry or make a thing of it. That just is what it is. The whole thing was, like, maybe 15 minutes in duration. Okay, fast forward to this last May. And I to say that was maybe two and a half years ago. So this last May, I was at a conference and I was talking with someone and we'd known each other online and professionally, but had rarely talked face to face. And she said, hey, you doing that was really meaningful because it showed showed me that leaders in this, the best meaning people can screw up, that you just say you're sorry, that you fix it, you do the right thing. I didn't think anyone would remember it besides me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I stepped in it.
0: Well, this is, I think... You know, one of the things that I have learned being married to a not white person um, and, you know, being with this person for 15 years is uh, that you're going to step in it a lot as a white person yeah. with people who aren't white if you engage in conversations about this stuff. Yeah. And um It's gonna really suck and it's gonna hurt and it's gonna feel bad and you're gonna feel defensive and you're gonna um, Feel like just you're about to die and which is why I can kind of like kind of kind of kind of kind of kind of Empathize with people who are just clutching their pearls at being called racist in spite of the fact that they're just Obviously racist Mm -hmm. is that I understand the feeling of it But one of the other things that I understand is that I've continued to have conversations (laughs) because i love this person and i want to figure this out and guess what like we're closer we're not further right like i didn't die i didn't you know lose a part of myself yeah. and it's just that it's 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 so hard to get past that point but it's kind of like a runner who you know once you you start to run you're either like yeah. you realize when you're out of shape versus when you're like oh i'm in shape you know like i can i, I can go a little longer now because yeah. i've been practicing at this
1: well, I wanted to go back to your point that you had made about people who are afraid of stepping in because they don't want to get put on blast. Mm-hmm. Um, I get asked about that a lot. And I'm I'm pretty hypersensitive to that. And I go back and there are rare exceptions, there aren't that many moments where I, again, acknowledging my space, look at something and go, wow, that was a super intense conversation. There have been those moments and there have been times where I've reached out to the person on the receiving end and said, okay, so that got a little intense. Let's you and I talk offline, which is not something I would typically do. Mm-hmm. But I think what other folks call being put on glass is really not. It's I'm engaging you in conversation and I'm being honest yes. and I'm vulnerable. Totally. And frankly, you know, like you have that experience within your marriage. I would say my, my tall white husband has that experience in this marriage, but for some folks, it's only except where they're ever going to have that experience. Yeah. And, you know, I, there's a there's a trope, but it's true. Like, if you have a friend who's a person of color, and you've never talked with race about them, like you're not really their friend, mm-hmm. in part because they don't trust you mm-hmm. to be vulnerable that way. And except we trust each other enough to be vulnerable. And if someone's doing that, like that's a gift mm-hmm. to receive. Yeah. Even so, like I'm so sorry about the topic. Uh That's they what know, they do. Me,
0: that's what they do me so
1: well. I'm giving them another treat while we're talking. <laughs> um. What people in the Facebook group might feel in terms of their discomfort for 30 seconds or even a full day of what they might call being put on blast is nothing compared to what people of color and marginalized people, queer people, and othered go through on a daily basis just from putting on their skin. And so part of me is like, yeah, this is what it's like. Mm-hmm. This is what it's like. Like. You know, we, we have. Do you think um, that's landing
0: with them? I mean, do you know? Do you, I mean, part, part of it is like, it's not your responsibility, right? I mean, to, to yeah. sort of follow up on that, see if that's happening. Um, yeah. But yeah, do you do you have anecdotal data on the fact that, you know, some people are going, like, holy shit, that sucked real quick for a second, but wow, I'm different now?
1: Um, My anecdotal data for that is those folks tend to not leave. They tend to stick around, they come yeah. back, they chime in on other posts, and mm-hmm. for the most part, you see the growth, like, mm-hmm. whatever whatever they stepped in before that caused the pushback for the most part, whether it's learning or fear, I don't know, they that that, that this step might not happen again. And so when people say I'm on blast or I got called out, like mm-hmm. my, my pushback to that is, no, you probably got called in, which is a little different, right? Mm-hmm, it's that, hey, I, w- I asked you to check yourself. I'm asking you perhaps in escalated tones because I don't feel like being heard or maybe other people are adding in because they don't feel like, but you're being called in. You're being called in when you get that kind of information when someone is being vulnerable vulnerable enough in a space like that to tell you their truth yeah that's being called in that's not being pushed out mm-hmm. or shamed mm-hmm. that and if a person receives it as such like my story makes them feel shamed well that's on you that's you know that's that's theirs to carry that's not my burden to carry right I have enough
0: well we have a few more minutes and i i would yeah. love to return to the breaking news uh that you are Going to be engaging in a year-long mission to completely, um, for lack of a much better term, disrupt uh, the, yeah. the you know college admissions landscape as we know it. Yeah, talk to me more about hacking the gates and 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 how you envision it happening and what sure. what in what ways some people might what what their hacks are going to be.
1: Well, in mid-August, all of this information hopefully. And who are the we hackers? Are out, well, it's we're looking at this as a in, We want folks involved who are stakeholders in this process. That doesn't mean only professionals, right? That means university presidents to parents of of high school freshmen Mm -hmm. to returned veterans to athletic directors, anyone who's who's in touch with this in one way, shape, or form. So we're going to start with online learning. We're going to figure out how we got here those are all things are all gonna be free it's going to be on the facebook platform and we're looking at other methods as well for those who don't engage on facebook um like with other things we do within except we want this to be a flat hierarchy we want all the voices to be equally valued and heard and we're trying to remove as many barriers to that as we can
0: i'm sorry so you said how we got here which you mean sort of like let's 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 sort of unpack and and, yeah. and sort of uh uh deconstruct you know the state of affairs
1: absolutely right how do we get here this model of of holistic admissions that we hold up as our, our value in this. How did Mm -hmm. testing end up here? What's this history of testing? Um, What, what are kind of the the charters of some of these colleges that specifically are built to keep people out? How Mm -hmm. does that impact things like that? So how Mm -hmm. do we get here? Mm -hmm. Um, How can we creatively look at assessing? How can we creatively and transparently talk about the, uh, the things that actually drive university choices, mm-hmm. like institutional priorities, how can we just be more honest and transparent about that? How can we help families? How can we help build a process where families and any applicant can look at it and navigate it on their own without the need of, of, of people helping them because they don't know the secret language because they're first gen? I mean, so much of this is still so informed, frankly, because we're, we're putting it together, but also we've tried to not be at all prescriptive when it comes to that hack space, to that taking it apart, to that, that radical reimagine, because if those of us as practitioners or researchers, if we figured it out before, we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. That's not our, our place to. Be prescriptive
0: so you envision this as being a, a an event i think that mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 phrase that comes to mind is a sort of a constitutional convention sort of a sort of a thing right where you know we we get <gasps> right to the heart of the matter right and 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 totally yeah. uh, uh uh reconstruct this thing that we've held to be sacrosanct
1: absolutely um when we first started to talk about this, um Oyan Poon and I when we first started to talk about this project and reaching out to potential partners and and, and funders, one of the ways that we said, "Oh maybe, this isn't a good match was when if we said, hey, so we want to we, we want to radically reimagine this." And they would say, "So do you mean like test optional?" like, <laughs> oh goodness, no we're we're drilling far deeper into the foundation than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when folks can't get out of their way, um, that tells me that maybe this isn't that space for them. Mm-hmm. We don't get to do this in our profession, right? We, we never take the time to do it. But more than that, we never take the time to ask the other players who actually make so much of the decisions that we just play by. So let's do this.
0: So what would you hope to give the funders for their seventy-five grand?
1: What well, I hope to give them is at the end of this when we have these policy papers, some really well thought out ideas. Um, and, and ways that they can partner with potential collaborators to turn some of these ideas into practice, um, and to, to to start looking, um, talking with policymakers as well. I think one of the good, bad, whatever side effects of all of this um, year of the scandal is how many uh, lawmakers are seizing this moment to say, "Well, we're going to regulate this. We're going to do that." And God, we've got to get into the conversation with that too. So my hope is that what these grant funders and institutions and folks who participate what they walk away with is a is a potential roadmap of how we can rethink this.
0: What are some of the things that are on your list? Oh gosh.
1: <laughs> I would love to see some type of national database storage. I'm just picturing like a storage locker where the documents locker. I'm sorry. Um yeah, right um, where where there's no middle person that a school counselor has to navigate things for them that the transaction is between the student and the institution
0: wait a second i know that's what i wait but that's my
1: i know it's your job job. but how we we are the travel agents of the world (laughs) Mm -hmm. um this system to it's and i can say this now because i've left this job to protect our jobs shouldn't take the place of fighting for an equitable path for students.
0: Why do you see that as, I mean, I I can make my own case obviously for, you know, in many ways why what I do is inequitable and, you know, kind of exacerbates that concern, but Mm -hmm. uh, writ large, like why do you see the role of somebody who might be like the job you just left as, as, as as being a problem?
1: Well, I think in the system as it's currently set, it's a problem because there's so little that's transparent there's there's so many like hidden things in the selective admissions process that if you are privileged enough to work or to attend a school where you have access to a counselor and you're one of 50 students who has access that's very different than someone who has access to a counselor and they're one of 750 that's totally different but you know the, the things that we call important, like relationships and um, a good recommendation and ability to call someone. Like those things that we do as a part of a private school counselor job. Those things should not be the reason a student is admitted to a college. Their mm-hmm. relationship with me should not be that. Because there're far too many people who don't have relationships with people like me. And the far too many people who work as school counselors who don't have relationships at all with college people because that's not how their job is seen or described.
0: And that's those are the elements of the job that probably, yeah, I mean, speak to the to the the to the the, the more privileged pieces of the process, but that's not the the sum total of that job though, right? And you know- No,
1: absolutely not, absolutely not. And I say that with some snark, but I don't believe that that's the sum total of the job. I don't think that's the truth, but I do think that in many industries, we've seen how that middle person, when that's taken away, there's a lot more efficiency and equity in it, right? Um, I think about filing taxes. I am lucky enough to be able to have a great accountant who has worked with my family for decades who just takes care of it and I know that they look for all of the things that put us in a good position. Then, what if you can't hire someone, but if you can do it online and you have access to information, you can navigate that, and you can see all those loopholes yourself too, mm-hmm. that's a more equitable share of, of sources and opportunities. People who can pay shouldn't be the only ones allowed to have
0: access. Right. Well, it will be fun to, uh, to say the least to keep an eye on, on this and see what happens and see, you know, mm-hmm. where it goes and what people come up with and to, to, um, yeah. I'm glad too, that your work is going to be, you know, understood by more people. Thanks to Eric Hoover. I see. I'll check one off your list for you there too, um, I appreciate which I'll be uh, showing up thanks. soon too. But to those folks who aren't you know, members of Accept and aren't in the college admissions landscape, but are either passive or active ob- observers of, the, of this world, whether they're parents or students or, 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 or others, teachers, I don't know. Like, what would you like them to know about the work you're doing?
1: I think that the work that we're doing is tied, all tied together. It's all of us. While we try to keep our work within accept the overall work that we're trying to do, you know, finding opportunities for racial justice and equity in this world, that's something that all of us play a role in no matter what. And I think all of us can even play a role in it in terms of college admissions. But the work that we're doing and accept is something that can be replicated in any industry, in any perspective. We don't have a special sauce. We we are people that have this common space, and we are able to identify that as our sphere of influence and places where we can identify inequities. Anyone can do that. Anyone can look around them and say, "I, I see that there are a lot of injustices, and I want to fight that." Anyone with privilege can look at that and say, "I need to figure out how to share my privilege or to." Re- or to just get rid of it altogether. But whether you're in admissions or not, whether you join Accept or not, everybody has a role to play in this. Because we, we're all here in this culture together.
0: Well, anybody can do it. Um, not a lot of people are. You did. Yeah. Good job. You and Steve and Brandy and, and others that have uh, participated and in making this happen. And you and
1: the 5,400 people. Like this is something I said to Hoover. This is I, I'm adamant about this because I think it's absolutely a million percent true. I might have started this in the middle of the night and Steve and Brandy and I And the moderation team and those folks who lead projects like we might be the ones like pushing things sometimes, but the truth is it's 5,400 people. Yeah, agreed. And 5,400 people having millions of conversations. It's not, this is about a community, not about an individual. And that's so much more powerful, so much more powerful.
0: Thanks for the work you're doing. And thanks for the time today to talk about it and um, hope to, hope to see you soon.
1: Oh, one last thing on my checklist. Yes. Um, Arun has nice sweaters.
0: Uh, as they say nice is in the eye of the beholder <laughs> uh, but it has been said and uh, I'll leave it in I'll leave it in thank you and with that I appreciate it Marie
1: thank you have a lot
0: of fun my regards to the Big Easy and I uh, hope to see you uh, uh, one of these days soon absolutely alright bye friend bye bye <laughs> Thanks to media darling, Marie Bigham, for fitting me in between appearances. I'm really glad I can be a part of it. And that people who aren't in admissions and might be listening to this can get a hit of what's going on behind the scenes in admissions. And to know that uh, these issues are being addressed in a substantial and organized way. It's critically important that those of us who have the privilege to come and go from the conversation as Marie Uh, discuss can come to understand that however tough it may be to come to that realization and those who don't have that privilege can be given the space to say however they want or need to say it to those with the privilege, hey your privilege is showing without fear of what author Robin DiAngelo refers to as the weaponization of defensiveness the white people get so well violently offended at the notion that they might be doing something racist that it's in fact a type of bullying response, we can't do that white folks if you'd like to keep tabs on what accept is up to you can check out accept so breaking was the news that marie shared exclusively with this podcast about the huge $75,000 grant to produce the hack the gates project that i'm not sure the name of the funder was mentioned and that of course is is the Joyce Foundation. and You can find out more about them at joycefdn.org and I've linked in the show notes to uh, Dr. Oyen Poon's organization RISE at Colorado State which stands for Race and Intersectional Studies in Educational Equity. And I don't have anywhere to direct you yet to learn more about it or keep tabs on it but I'm sure that uh, the Accept uh, website will perform that task or if you aren't a college admissions professional and you're hearing this while uh, a while after I have released it then send me a note at uh, crushpod at gmail.com. I'd be happy to point you in the right direction once it has been established. Okay, final thoughts here. I want to say that listening back on the conversation now, I thought I was aware as one hopes to be in conversations and specifically conversations like this of one's own privilege and biases. And I try really hard in this podcast to On the one hand, ask questions that I think other people might find interesting. But of course, ones that I personally find interesting. And so there were a few times in here when I talk about people, or some people, and what I probably should have said is white people. Um, And without that, I think I risk projecting or defining a norm that isn't a norm. It was my own perspective and experience, which is to say that of a white person, not of quote-unquote people. Talking about race and privilege can hurt and sting and smart, but white people, let me just say that from personal experience, it hurts way worse down the road when you don't talk about this stuff and you just do that Irish thing where you just bury it real deep in there and then it all just comes out in the wrong way and the wrong time. Not talking is way worse than talking As hard as it can be to talk about stuff I think it's its own kind of self-care To be brave enough to have hard conversations And then deal constructively with these super uh, Feelings that come from it, right? You'll live, white people You'll be okay You'll actually help yourself and others Not the least being the kids after us Who we all want to be better about this And better than us So they don't have to be here In this kind of moment all over again there are some pretty spectacular books and things to check out on the topic that I can link to, but uh, the chronicle references White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, as I the author I mentioned just uh, a few moments ago, and a new book that has just come out today by Dr. Ibram Kendi called How to Be an Anti-Racist, which I am looking forward to greatly. Read his other book, Stamped from the Beginning. This one is uh, is sure to be incredible and uh, part of the canon. It is not enough. Just to to not be racist, you got to be actively anti. All right. Thank you for listening, folks. Please share this podcast with people you think might be into it. Go forth. Be good humans. And in the spirit of Gene Roddenberry, live long and prosper.